Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. Darwin. Welcome, everyone, back into Nerd Sesh. You know, when you do a sports history podcast, a lot of time you have to sort of create your own topics, you know, stir up something you want to talk about. This one came pretty easily to us because the Centennial NFL Hall of Fame class has just been inducted for the most part. We have coaches, we have sort of non-football people, you know, like the NFL film guys or whatever. We have the senior players, players who retired more than 25 years ago. And then we have the modern class, which is yet to be inducted. So today we're going to run down the coaches. We're going to run down the senior players. And then we're going to make our picks out of the modern guys who are yet to be inducted, say who we think deserves to make it. But let's start off with the coaches, Logan. And the first coach, your good personal friend, Bill Cower. What do you say about that selection? Yeah, very close with Bill Cower. In fact, I was just talking. To him, yeah. Um, no, but in seriousness, um, I'm really happy that Bill Cowher got in. Of course, uh, you know, a Super Bowl 40 champion, and he was, you know, appeared in Super Bowl 30, the 1992 AP Head Coach of the Year, and a 149, 90, and one record as a head coach. I mean, for the long time, Carson, you know, or in the early 90s, uh, Bill Cowher just couldn't seem to get it done in the big moments and in the big games, and that was the knock on him, and it was. It was so nice to see him go out, obviously not on top because he had that 8-8 eight eight season after the Super Bowl win, but get his Super Bowl ring, head out, and uh, I'm so glad to see him in the Hall of Fame now. Yeah, I think Cower is really a deserving candidate. You look at a guy who won over 62% of his games, that's basically averaging a 10-win season You know, for a 15-year career, made the playoffs in 10 of 15 seasons, had the two Super Bowl appearances. I think he absolutely deserves to be in here. The other coach inductee, who I frankly think was a poor decision. And I think there are a bunch of deserving coaches that are not in the Hall of Fame, and now this guy is, is Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, of course, the somewhat iconic coach of those um, of the 90s Cowboys, of course, was fired after him and Jerry Jones had some, mm-hmm. some differences, which you can expect when it comes to Jerry Jones. But his resume, at least, 80 and, 80 and 64 record, that's a 55.6% winning percentage, two Super Bowls, nine and four in the playoffs. He made the playoffs in six of his nine years, coached for just nine seasons overall, was the 1990 coach of the year, which actually, interestingly enough, 
wasn't a year the Cowboys were particularly relevant. It was after they went one and 15. He took them to seven and nine. I think with retrospect, that coaching job looks a little less impressive because he had Aikman, Irvin and Emmett Smith all on that team. They were just super young and a little bit um, unheralded and unknown. I still think when you have those guys on those team on that your team, you're probably going to win seven games. Um, he went and then he moved on to Miami after splitting ways with Jerry Jones. Uh, he went at least 500 in all four years in Miami, but he had Dan Marino. So for me, you know, not a long career, tough to separate the success from the tremendous talent that he had. Logan, what did you think about this selection? Um, I wasn't as satisfied with it, obviously, as the Coward selection. I mean, just based off pure win percentage. And as you said, you bring in a guy like uh, Barry Switzer as the new head coach, and he also wins a Super Bowl. Um, So I think it drags down what he accomplished with the Cowboys a little bit. Who else? I mean, I I know you said that you thought there were some more deserving candidates. Who are they? Thank you, Logan. You've just fed me a, a meatball right now. Here are coaches more deserving than Jimmy Johnson of being in the Hall of Fame. Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren has a Super Bowl, three Super Bowl appearances, a 161 and 111 record, a 59.2% winning percentage. He's 13 11 in the playoffs. He made the playoffs in 13 of 17 seasons, did this in two different spots, was consistently really good. Holmgren's not in the Hall of Fame. Nope. I would have guessed. Well, that's my point. He's more <laughs> deserving. Dick Vermeil, not in the Hall of Fame. What? Yes, one of the, you know, longest tenured NFL coaches, not necessarily as a head coach, but was just in the NFL for forever. 120 and 109 career record, one Super Bowl, two Super Bowl appearances, won 12 or more games with three different teams, and of course engineered the greatest show on turf. Ready for another one? Mike Shanahan, not in the Hall of Fame. Wow. These are guys, Holmgren and Shanahan have over two times as many career wins as Jimmy Johnson. Shanahan also two Super Bowls, 170 and 138, 55.2% winning percentage. And you can argue that maybe there was some inconsistency, but his winning percentage is almost identical to Jimmy Johnson, has the same amount of Super Bowls and won over twice as many games. George Seifert. Now, admittedly, he inherited, he inherited the Bill Walsh thing, but he kept it going in San Francisco, continued that dynasty, two Super Bowls, 114 and 62, and a 64.8% winning percentage. And Tom Flores, yes, I know a personal uh, favorite yes. of yours, two Super Bowls with those 80s Raiders, not the greatest winning percentage at 97 and 87, but if I'm going to pick a guy between him who didn't necessarily have that same level of all-time talent as Jimmy Johnson did, um, he really helped engineer that dynasty in my opinion more. So I think they're all more deserving than Jimmy Johnson. I think you can make a, you know, a good case for Jimmy Johnson being in the hall, but I think this is almost... I don't know what terminology I should use here. I'm going to use the word detrimental Mm -hmm. to the Hall of Fame because I think this opens the door for a lot of candidates that maybe just, you know, aren't as up there. I think Tom Coughlin, you know, deserving. He should get in. But, you know, Coughlin seems like he's going to get in. Do you let in a guy like Mike McCarthy? I mean, Mm -hmm. I just think it opens the door for a lot of candidates because – I don't think Jimmy Johnson's resume is, you know, on par with the Hall of Fame standard. Yeah, and you have to wonder about how much sort of the fame factor comes into this. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson not only had that Cowboys brand, not only was, you know, attached to a dynasty, he is a guy who's still on TV every Sunday. He's a guy that is extremely relevant to this day. And, you know, Mike Holmgren has basically disappeared. Even though he wasn't coaching that long ago, he's not a guy you hear a lot from anymore. Well, And, you know, what's funny is it seems like it's a uh, an inverse problem with players. Mm-hmm. If you're a loud player and you were really brash on the field. Mm-hmm. It seems like the Hall of Fame holds you uh, holds it against you. And I'm not saying that you know Jimmy Johnson was loud and brash, but he was certainly mm-hmm. a big time personality. Yeah. So I think that's going to do it for the conversation on the coaches, Logan. Now let's run down the senior players that have gotten in. We'll talk about any people we think are particularly controversial. A couple of these guys, it was tough to comment on. You know, you have a guy like 
Duke Slater, who played tackle in the twenties, has doesn't even no have stats. any accomplishments, no any stats. stats. So I don't know. I I obviously can't speak on that at all. But let's run it down. We have Harold Carmichael, who obviously was a great receiver for a long time. Um, Max Speedy, who was actually highly accomplished, really impressive resume, killer name, awesome name, awesome name for. A halfback and a guy who also, well, I guess he played more receiver. They might have called him halfbacks back in the day, though. Who knows? You have Bobby Dillon making it as a safety. Not to correct you, I think they called him like an edge. I think you're right. I think they call him a, whatever, a right end or something? I, and yeah, and it, it was for wideouts, and I don't know. Yeah. The terminology back then is a little... Yeah, no, I think it was. I think they used to call receivers like ends or something, something like that. Something like that. Um, Cliff Harris getting in. Winston Hill getting in a tackle. Mm-hmm. Donnie Shell who to me was probably the most deserving. Shout out Donnie Show. A guy that we talked about when we did our uh, players who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame but aren't in yet a while back. Um, Another guy, Alex Karras, um, you know, definitely deserving to get into the Hall. Uh, Fun fact, uh, Carson, did you know he went into movies after his NFL career? You know, a lot of guys back in the day did. Yeah. um, Merlin Jones. Merlin Olsen. Jim Brown. Yeah. Jim Brown retired young to go to Hollywood, the greatest running back ever. Um, But Karras was definitely deserving. Yeah. Um, NFL Films did a lot of stuff on him about uh, um, about you know how dirty and how hard nosed he was at that nose tackle position. Also, um, not a player, but shout out Steve Sable, um, one of the founders of uh, NFL Films, getting into the Hall of Fame as well. I can't think of anyone more deserving than Steve uh, to get into the Hall. What about Tom Brady? Uh, you know, I mean, I think we'll probably have that debate one day. Yeah, I guess we'll have the Sable Brady debate. <laughs> um, last couple guys: Ed Sprinkle and Jimbo Co- and Jimbo Covert. So. Logan, here's what I think. I think there are a couple guys that should have gotten in in this class that didn't. And I'm going to take a shot at Duke Slater here. Even though I said I couldn't evaluate him, if you played in the 20s, you've had 90 years to get into the Hall of Fame. (laughs) So, Duke, what was going wrong here? My my favorite fact, I I can't remember exactly who it was that I talked about um, at the defensive end spot um, that made the NFL 100 team. Mm -hmm. Duke Slater. Yeah. 6'1", 215 pounds. Yeah. Come on. He was a beast. I bet he's going up against that at tackle. Um, And let me say who I really think should have been in. So the first guy to me is Sterling Sharp. Sterling Sharp obviously had a very short career, played just seven seasons, but five Pro Bowls in that time, three All-Pro selections, over 8,000 yards, 65 touchdowns, led the league in receiving three times, yards once, and twice in touchdowns. To me, if you're one of the three best at your position for six or seven years, you have a legitimate case. And as I said, you know, these guys have had so many years to make it. And Duke Slater, I'm sorry, if they hadn't created these extra spots in the Centennial class, never would have made it. Yeah, and I almost feel shortchanged that we're doing the Centennial class because it mm-hmm. feels like a lot of these modern players. I mean, what do we have to cut? 20 players? That's what I'm saying. I look at so many of these modern players and thought, wow, he's more deserving than these old guys. And that's not even my modern bias. You look at the resumes. You look at you look at the honors. And they're so good. And they're incredible. The, those are Hall of Fame resumes. I looked at a lot of these and I thought they're not necessarily Hall of Fame resumes. Another guy I thought should have been in, Jim Marshall. Yeah, of course, definitely. the Purple People Eaters. Only two Pro Bowls, but the dude played for 20 years and was a big part of one of the greatest defenses ever. Um, I felt that, uh, you know, Drew Pearson uh, should have gotten in as well. Um, It's heartbreaking to see every – I mean, it seems like every year, you know, you saw that video online. He had gathered um, his uh, family and friends in there Mm -hmm. only to not get in again. Um, My dad obviously, you know, watched a lot of football um, back then when he was growing up, and he Mm -hmm. thinks that Pearson um, is definitely deserving of getting into the hall. So I trust him with uh, telling me that. 
Here's what I sort of thought on that, and here's why I actually wasn't too bummed about the Drew Pearson thing. Obviously, that video sucked to see, but I felt like there was sort of a a 70s receiver spot, and it was either going to be Harold Carmichael or Drew Pearson. And I think if you compare the resumes, Harold Carmichael's is pretty convincingly better. He's got, you know, like 30 more touchdowns, more yards. So I didn't hate that, but you feel bad for the guy who, you know, spent 30-something years wanting to be in the Hall of Fame, and they drag it out on TV in front of him. That sucks. Yeah. That's sad to see. And I don't know if they don't give them any advance notification. I guess not. But that was too bad to see. Carmichael also. 6'8". Wow. Imagine going up against that guy. Well, he played tight end too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine going up against that, trying to defend that in the modern era. I don't know how it would work. I mean, I don't know how it worked back in the day. I wish I could have washed. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gronk's 6'7". Really? Gronk's yeah. that big. Gronk's I thought he was like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. No, he's 6'7". He was a monster. So that'll do it for the historical conversation. Now, Logan, let's get into the uh, the entree of this, the modern guys. So uh, this started with 25 nominees mm-hmm. for modern guys. And let me just say, I was upset already when they narrowed it down to 15. As was I. Because a couple guys got cut from that 25 that I thought could have been contenders for the five that I actually selected. The first guy, Patrick Willis, seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro Probably, along with Luke Keekley, the best linebacker I've seen in my lifetime. Inside linebacker, at least. Yeah, I wasn't as mad that um, Willis didn't get in now just because he's going to get in. Willis was such a dominant performer. Yeah. How many linebackers did you say? Top what? That I've seen him at two. Oh, wait, no, Ray Lewis. Yeah, Ray Lewis. Was, okay, yeah, I forgot Ray Lewis. And you put Brian Urlacher below them as well? No, I would not. Okay. I was a little bit reactionary. Okay. <laughs> it was a little bit reactionary. I think he's right in the tier with Urlacher, though. I mean, Patrick Willis was exceptional. Oh. He controlled the game. He was a tackle machine. He was so cerebral. He was awesome. Yeah, I'm not as mad about it because I know that Willis will get in eventually. Yeah. And with Keekley's retirement, his um, you know induction is imminent. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't as mad at Willis being left off now. The other guy, Steve Tasker. The greatest special teams player ever, save maybe Devin Hester, seven-time Pro Bowler. I wouldn't have put him in my five. I thought he should have been in the 15, though. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love Steve Tasker. I love that helmet he wore. Yeah, I mean, um, amazing athlete. I, I would have. I would love to see Steve Tasker get in the hall one day. Do you think it's possible? I don't know. It feels like this was... This was a good chance for him, but I don't know. I think the door is open. I don't think it's likely, though, because guess what? Special teams players don't get love. If you're the greatest at what you did and you Uh still can't get in, I think that, you know, speaks to an anti-special teams bias in the NFL. I'm calling it out, baby. No, no, no. I completely agree. You see, it took um, how long to get Ray Guy in there? It took... Um, who's the other one? Jan uh, Stenerud? Is he in the hall? I don't know. Um, But, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a special teams bias in the hall, and... I don't know. Tasker's if if Hester gets in, I think it makes a clear case for Tasker being able to get in. Yeah, I do think Hester, though, has more of the appeal of the mm-hmm. memorable highlights, whereas Tasker's a gunner out there. You yeah. Know? So it's a little bit different. But let's move into the guys that are still alive. There's 15 of them, Logan, and we'll start Steve Atwater, Leroy Butler, Tony Baselli, Tori Holt, Steve Hutchinson, Sam Mills, uh, Bryant Young, Richard Seymour, Reggie Wayne, Edger and James. Isaac Bruce, Alan Fanica, Troy Polamalu, Zach Thomas, and John Lynch. Did I miss anyone? I don't think so. Uh, I don't believe so. Okay. I would like to say, um, so, you know, we're going to get into who are five, who we think they should mm-hmm. be. I would like to say a few things about guys I didn't pick. So okay. Tony Baselli didn't make my five, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because it was a, you know, a very condensed career due to his yeah. injury problems. Tony Baselli. During his time with the Jaguars, a conference championship appearance in 96, mm-hmm. a wild card appearance in 97. Also, you know, he's a pro bowler in 
every single one of the years, these years I mentioned, a divisional appearance in 98 and a conference championship appearance in 99. Mm-hmm. Since Pacelli retired due to injury, the Jaguars have only made three playoff appearances. I mean, that just, yeah. I, I see a direct correlation between the two. Mm-hmm. And obviously their team fell off a little bit. Of that. Um, yeah. Brunel got a little worse. Uh, yeah. The wideouts, Keenan McCardell, uh, they fell off a little bit. But mm-hmm. Baselli, elite uh, tackle during his time in the NFL. Yeah, I think the thing with Baselli is just, you know, 91 career games. That's, even you look at Sterling Sharp, that's like three quarters of what Sterling Sharp did. So there's a big difference there. But um, let's talk about the five that made it for each of us. So Logan, who are your five? Um, so my five is uh, are Isaac Bruce, Steve Hutchinson, Edron James, Troy Polamalu, and Zach Thomas. So we have four of the same guys. My five is Troy Polamalu, Alan Fanica, Isaac Bruce, Zach Thomas, and Edron James. Yeah, I figured we differ on one of the guard spots. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, I. Th- I guess you would have guessed that I would have taken Fanica because he's a Steeler. And you vouched for him in the in the guys who should be in the Hall of Fame. But I have to say, with this class, there were a couple guys that I had actually vouched for that I couldn't put in in this specific class. Mm-hmm. Um, the case for Fanica over Hutchinson is an interesting one. The only thing that I can compare, obviously, Fanica has the Super Bowl. They were, you know, head-to-head in that matchup. Mm-hmm. Not exactly, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, the Steelers went from ninth total offense in 07, their last year with Fanica, to 21st in total offense wow. when Fanica left for the Jets. So obviously a direct correlation there. But the case for Hutchinson, Hutchinson blocked up front for MVP Sean Alexander. And obviously you can't give him all the credit because he is one offensive lineman. And those Seahawks had Walter Jones and some other solid offensive linemen. But Adrian Peterson won Rookie of the Year with Hutchinson there. And, you know, an NFC Championship appearance and Super Bowl appearance is what Hutchinson accomplished with his teams. Um, You know, you can look at the Pro Bowl numbers and the the Pro Bowl selections and the all-pro selections, and Fanica beats Hutchinson out, but Alexander won an MVP with Hutchinson on the line, and Fanica, again, really solid, but I think the MVP and Rookie of the Year for his running backs is what separates Fanica and Hutchinson. I think that's a strong case. I think these are pretty much, without a doubt, the two best guards of the 2000s. I mean, you're looking at the all-pro selections. They dominate. They've got five and six apiece. Fanica has nine Pro Bowls and six all-pro selections. I wouldn't weigh the Super Bowl too heavily because these are offensive linemen. I really just gave the edge to Fanica on the basis of the fact that he's, you know, he's the more accomplished overall player. But that was a nice case you made for Hutchinson there. I just wanted to shout out Kevin Mawai. Yeah, also another solid guard of the uh, 2000s. Um, so why do you think Fanica should get in over uh, Hutchinson? I think it's for me, it came down to the fact that he's slightly more accomplished. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit of an oversimplification. And I as I said, I like the case that you made for Hutchinson pointing to the direct impact he's had on particular seasons. But also with the stat you pointed out about Fanica on offense falling off like that when when he leaves to me is not insignificant. And, and he was good for a long time. And I have to say, that was a big... I, I went back and forth with Hutchinson and Fanica for a little while when doing my research because I remember how bad our offensive line got. Yeah. That, that Super Bowl um, against the Packers, we had Marquise Pouncey, and Pouncey was our only really good offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Pouncey gets hurt before that Super Bowl. We have Doug Ligurski starting at center for that game. Yeah. And our offensive line was one of the worst until we drafted David DeCastro. Mm-hmm. I mean, we fell off when Fanica mm-hmm. left, and it impacted our our blocking for Big Ben, our blocking for Willie Parker, and mm. our offense in general. So yeah. I know his impact on the field was immense. So Fanica was a close miss for you. What other close misses did you have? Guys that you really considered but couldn't quite make the cut? 
Uh, Tori Holt was really close for me. I felt mm-hmm. as um, alongside uh, Reggie Wayne, I yep. felt had both wideouts had good resumes. Of course, the the skill position players on offense are always going to have, in my opinion, stronger resumes because it's hard, you know, to compare tackles for a middle linebacker. But it's mm-hmm. fairly simple to compare receiving yards yeah. and receiving touchdowns. Yeah. Um, I felt only one wideout from the uh, you know greatest show on turf could get in, and I felt I felt for a long time. I know you agree with me yeah. that Isaac Bruce has been deserving for a yes. while now. Yes. Um, for Holt, I mean, he's a seven-time Pro Bowler, a one-time All-Pro selection, a Super Bowl champ. Um, 920 career receptions, his 21st all-time, 16th all-time in career receiving yards, and uh, 36 all-time in career receiving touchdowns with 74. He did lead the league in receiving yards per game in 03, and his career receiving yards per game is 77.4, ninth all-time. Yeah. Holt definitely has a resume. Um. You, do you agree with me in, uh, that Reggie Wayne was very close off? Yeah. So for me, when I was narrowing it down, it came down to a couple things. I really just had the fifth spot left open, and I ended up going with Edger and James for that last spot. But so I was looking at Holt and I was looking at Reggie Wayne because I vouched for Torrey Holt in the past, too, because I think the receiving yards per game is insane mm-hmm. for him and obviously was part of the greatest one of the greatest offenses ever, if not the greatest offense ever. Um but I ended up choosing Reggie Wayne even out of that Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt bunch because here's the resume for Reggie Wayne. Six-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, a Super Bowl ring, 10,070 catches as 10th all-time, 14,345 receiving yards as 10th all-time, 82 touchdowns as 24th. He was a one-time league leader in yards with 8,000-yard seasons. You just go down the resume. Now, granted, he did play with Peyton Manning, but more catches, more yards, more touchdowns. So even though Holt has the edge in yards per game, I decided to go with Reggie Wayne. And I just remember Reggie Wayne being such a phenomenal player in my youth. He wasn't Marvin Harrison, but he was pretty damn close at some points. And it's funny because you can uh, draw a lot of comparisons between Wayne and Holt, the mm-hmm. number two guys on mm-hmm. some very dominant teams too. Maybe the two best number twos ever. I I think you can make a very yeah. strong case for it. Um, so... I thought Wayne should have got in, and to Holt's uh, receiving yards per game for his career, I think you can also attribute that to Holt didn't really linger around. Mm-hmm. Once yeah. he once he got to Jacksonville and wasn't the dominant receiver, I yeah. think he had 700 yards in that yeah. final season in Jacksonville. Isaac hang on, hung on a little bit too mm-hmm. long, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, very similar to Tim Brown. That's why their receiving yards per game numbers won't be as high. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody else, Carson, that uh, you, know, you felt got left off or – you wanted to fit into your five. Yeah, there was one more guy, and that was John Lynch, who mm-hmm. nine-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro selection, two-time first-team All-Pro selection, a Super Bowl winner, 26 picks in his career, 13 sacks, 1,059 tackles, just a guy who did it all, hard-hitting, smart safety, good in coverage, really did everything, and of course was part of an all-time great defense and a Super Bowl-winning team. So I thought about putting in putting him in there, but... Really, the reason I had to go with Edger and James is because the resume is just flat out a Hall of Fame resume. Four-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, 12,246 yards. That's 13th all-time. Every other retired running back in the top 15 is in the Hall of Fame, and the two guys who aren't retired are Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson, so they're as clear-cut as it gets. Mm -hmm. 80 touchdowns. It's 20th all-time, 82.7 yards per game. That's 12th, a two-time league leader in yards. 433 catches for 3,364 yards and 11 touchdowns. He's 16th in yards from scrimmage all time, and he has 7,000 yard rushing seasons. So I went back and forth on these three for a while, but at the end of the day, 
James to me stood out the most. Yeah, and you know what's funny is I remember you vouching for Edger and James mm-hmm. when we talked about this exact topic, yeah. and I immediately said, no, he doesn't deserve to get in. But he is a member of my five because once you look at the numbers, they astound you. You mentioned yeah. the 82.7 rushing yards per game. Everyone above him is in the Hall of Fame except for Billy Sims, who didn't play long enough in my yeah. opinion, Clinton Portis, and then Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. Um, so, And their resumes are not nearly that of James. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to think that Edger and James was nothing more than a you know a Joseph Adai. I thought yeah. that he was... Just just a complimentary piece to Peyton, but he was yeah. he helped run that offense. Yeah. Um, you mentioned John Lynch. I definitely wanted to put him in there. You know, Carson, when I was a kid, obviously when I started watching football, it was about around, you know, 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember that John Lynch was on that defense. Yeah. I remember him more with the Denver Broncos when yeah. he was old and washed up, but yeah. I don't know. With all those stars on that defense, you kind of he kind of blends into the back a little bit, yeah. um, you know, because you have Warren Sapp and you have Derek Brooks and yeah. Rondé Barber. But yeah. uh, I think Lynch has a solid case moving forward for getting into the hall. And let me just say he wasn't all that washed up in, in Denver. He was old, but he was still making Pro yeah. Bowls no, at you're that right. age. Um, so let's run down the resumes of some of the guys that we agreed on. Troy Polamalu, the first guy, obviously, to me, by far the strongest player of anyone in this group. This is his first year of eligibility, so he was basically a lock to get in. Eight-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, two Super Bowls, a Defensive Player of the Year, 783 tackles in his career, 54 tackles for loss, 32 picks, 12 sacks, one of the great do-it-all safeties of all time, big hitter, interception machine, one of the great players of my childhood that I remember watching. Well, and the 2010 Defensive Player of the Year award for Troy. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, he was an anchor for the defense. Uh, One of the best draft picks the Steelers front office has ever made, Mm -hmm. uh, nabbing him out of USC in 03, I believe. And it turned our defense around. It made us contenders. And, I mean, we – I mean – Sorry to flex on you here again, Carson. We've always been, you know, pretty competitive. But Thanks. when Troy showed up, it actually made us Super Bowl favorites and Super Bowl contenders. Yeah. Um, it really sucked seeing Troy fall off that last season. Mm-hmm. And I the Steelers gave him an ultimatum. Um, you're either gonna retire or we're gonna uh release you. So yeah. Troy opted to retire, but it was his time to go. Troy, like you said, I mean, spectacular player and always good for a big hit or a big interception. Yeah, so let's move on to the other defensive player that we both had. This is a guy that we've talked about before as well. Zach Thomas, seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, 1,734 combined tackles. That's fifth all-time. 1,700-plus tackles. I mean, that's almost incomprehensible. 17 interceptions and four pick sixes, 74 tackles for loss, and 16 forced fumbles. One of the all-time great all-around linebackers. Yeah, um, a league leader in combined tackles twice in top five another six times. That's insane. I mean, he was just always all over the field. One thing I remember about Zach Thomas was he was never extremely fast, but it didn't matter. Yeah. He was just—it seemed he was always there— He was everywhere on the field at all times. A little bit undersized, but again, it didn't matter. He was a dominant tackler. It just sucks. He was on those horrendous, you know, mid-2000s Dolphin squads. It just seems they weren't extremely bad, but they were never, it never seemed like they were going to make a deep playoff run. Yeah, I so I'm just going to read out some tackle numbers to you guys from Zach Thomas. Ready? Kicks off his career, 154, 128, 137, 134, then 99 in an 11-game season. 155, 156, 153, 145, 162, 165. That only plays five games at 34 years old. Still gets 52 tackles. So that's on track to have over a 160 tackle season. And then 94 in his last season. I mean, the dude was one of the all-time great tacklers. He really was. Carson, how many total games did it say he played in? Uh, 184. So 184. Yeah. That's nine and a half tackles per game. Yeah. No, that's crazy. Every single game. That's absolutely ridiculous. 
Now, Logan, let's talk about the guy that we've both been harping on for a while. He's got to be in the hall, we've said. Isaac Bruce, one of the stars of the greatest show on turf and one of the best receivers ever. It is simply mind-boggling to me that he was only a four-time pro bowler. I know. I've never gotten that. And never, not one all-pro selection. Even when he had, you know, 17, 81 yards and 13 touchdowns. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, man, because there's always a lot of good wideouts in the league. But you're telling me Isaac Bruce was never an Mm all-pro. A Super Bowl, which, you know, for for wideouts, maybe not that important. But the individual numbers will astound you. 1,024 receptions, which, in my opinion, if you get 1,000 catches, it's almost a lock for you getting in the Hall of Fame. Also, shout out Heinz Ward. I really wanted to see him make the modern era finalist, but I understand why when you go up against Bruce Holt and Wayne. 13th all-time. 15,208 receiving yards. That's fifth all time. Everyone above him is in the Hall of Fame. And of course, Larry Fitzgerald is still playing. Five times he finished in top five for receiving yards and he led the league in receiving yards in the 1996 season. Mm -hmm. 91 career receiving touchdowns. 12th all time. Mm -hmm. Again, everyone above him is in the Hall of Fame. Fitzgerald is still playing and Antonio Gates just retired. Two times was in the top five for receiving touchdowns. And again, the only knock on Isaac would be his receiving yards per game, 68.2, which is 30th all time. That's only because, in my opinion, the air attack that has risen in recent NFL memory. And Steve Largent, Chris Carter, and James Lofton are all in the Hall of Fame with lower yards per game numbers. Isaac Bruce has a resume that stacks up with anybody in the Hall. I think it's insane that he hasn't gotten in yet. If he doesn't get in this year, I will riot. Um, And he might not because, you know, the resume hasn't changed. I mean, the Hall of Fame voters are the same. And it's so dumb to me because you see a guy like Marvin Harrison, right? Not Mm -hmm. a big personality, but Harrison got in because... He did it on the field. You yeah. see a guy like Moss or uh, Moss was first ballot, correct? No, Moss was second. Wow. That's... And, and T.O. was third. Yeah, yeah, because they, you know, they had their personalities. Yeah. What did Isaac Bruce do that it was comparable to Moss or Owens to get him left off like that? The dude is fifth all time in receiving yards. Fifth. Mm. No, sorry. We have to let Duke Slater in. Yeah. Shout out Duke Slater. Way to go, Duke. I mean, the the resume is so insane. As I mentioned earlier, in his second season in the league, he had 1,781 yards and 13 touchdowns. Of course, didn't lead the league in either because there was a little guy named Jerry Rice having a historic campaign. But he's just one of the greatest to ever do it. And uh, I mean, even, you know, a full decade after that, he had 1,292 yards and six touchdowns in a season. And then in his age 34 season, two years later, 1,098 yards. He just stayed productive for a long time, was dominant at his peaks, was part of the greatest offenses ever, and without a doubt deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. All right, Carson, I'm going to give you a little bit of a trivia time here. I would not not get this right. Good. All right. Can you name either of the two quarterbacks that were tossing him passes in that 95 season? Um, Jim Everett. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Miller and Mark Rippon. Wow, Mark Rippon. Huh. 0-3 is a starter for the Rams, oh, but good for him. he did play. No, I would not have gotten 1,700 yards, uh, over 1,700 yards, yeah. nearly 1,800 with Chris Miller yeah. and Mark Rippon tossing you the pigskin. I mean, that is absurd. Yeah. You know, Jerry Rice had Steve Young. Jerry Rice is the greatest to ever do it, but geez, that's insane. Chris Miller. Isaac. Shout out Chris Miller. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be fun to see how this actually unfolds. We've obviously picked our five. There was, you know, a good amount of similarity between the two. Is there anyone that you think the Hall of Fame voters might throw in there that we don't see coming? 
Maybe a Richard Seymour because oh. he had the team success? Please no. I hope not. I mean, don't get me wrong. I respect Seymour, but he did not have a signature season comparable of Palomalu. And never, and again, you know, admittedly, I was a kid, so, you know, I didn't know all that much, but never did I think, oh man, Richard Seymour is one of like the five best defensive players in football. Yeah, it's not like he was ever Julius Peppers right. or... Um, I'm trying to think of some other solid. Jared Allen. Not even. You know what? I'm going to say it. Now, okay. maybe I'm a little out of line here. Okay. I didn't even think he was Javon Curse level. You might be a little out of line. Javon Curse is my guy. You though. might be a little out of line. Yeah, I may be a little out. Sorry, Richard. But I mean, 57 and a half sacks. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Now, if Seymour had played his entire career at the defensive tackle position, I'd be all over it. 57 mm-hmm. and a half sacks from an interior line spot. But he only switched to the interior line spot for the last three years of his career. Yeah. He was a D-end. Yeah. And 57 and a half sacks, seven-time Pro Bowler, I feel – look, I'm all for Pro Bowls because it is a – it's it's a good signal of what the fans thought. But yeah. I think that's a large um, point to the team's no, success. That's some, patriot, that's some Patriot bias. I mean, Pro Bowls are, you know – Fans do a better job of voting than they do on, like, the NBA All-Star Game. But imagine if the NBA All-Star Game was still all fan votes and we use that as a metric to determine someone's legacy. That would be ridiculous. And, look, I I give credit to DNs or interior linemen who are also dominant run stoppers. Mm -hmm. 498 career combined tackles for Seymour doesn't blow you away. And the reason I bring up the run stopping numbers is because Casey Hampton, you know, a member of that dominant Steelers uh, defense, Mm -hmm. nine career sacks for Casey Hampton. Yeah. Because he was a he was a run yeah. stopper. He wasn't yeah. there to get after the passer, but yeah. that was Seymour's job. Yeah. Seymour was there to get after the passer, and it yeah. just didn't happen. Is there anyone else that you could see the Hall of Fame voters giving the nod to? Someone that we um, haven't talked about. I would like to give a short mention to Sam Mills, um, mm-hmm. just because uh, Mills started his career in Canada because teams thought that he was too undersized. Um, played 11 seasons from 27 to uh, 38, his yeah. age. I feel like Mills would have a really good shot at the Hall if he didn't start off in Canada. I mean, yeah. uh, 1,265 combined tackles, mm-hmm. 1,142 solo. or mm-hmm. That can't be right. I got that number from Pro Football Reference. I don't think that's right. Could be. Could be. Could be. But I know for sure 1,265 combined tackles. I don't expect it, though. I mean, we've we've been throwing some haymakers, you know, in, in years previous. But yeah. in my opinion, I think there's a clear-cut five or a clear-cut four and yeah. then One Fanica the yeah, the or Hutchinson. What do you think about Steve Atwater? Because I've been a uh, – I've wanted Atwater to get in. I felt like he's had a pretty solid case in years previous. He does have a strong case, eight-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl winner, 24 picks in 1,188 tackles for a DB. That's a heck of a lot of tackles, but I don't think he gets in this year because of what we were talking about. It's a strong, I mean, it's going to be a strong class. I think a guy to watch out for might be Reggie Wayne because he does have that attachment to all those Colts teams. And Edger and James has the same attachment, but I don't know. Reggie Wayne always felt like a little bit more of a celebrity to me. Or maybe Zach Thomas gets the cold shoulder because he's a guy, you know, again, that you mentioned wasn't on a particularly relevant team for a long time and has been left out for too long already, I think. Let me ask you this, Carson. Yeah. Do you think they bone Isaac Bruce again and get Reggie Wayne in? I would be infuriated, but now that you mentioned it, I do think it could happen. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't. I mean, how long has Isaac Bruce been waiting on this call? Um, let, let me pull it up real quick. He retired quick. in 2009, so it's <laughs> this man's been six, years for, or six years yeah, since this he's will, been eligible. This will be the sixth year. Yeah. So, man, Isaac, I'm pulling for you, man. Yeah, we're rooting for you, Isaac. It's going to be fun to see how this all unfolds. They're going to be revealing it all, what is it, the day before Super Bowl Sunday? Mm-hmm. So that's going to be something fun to tune into. My uh, my final question for you, Carson. Yeah. Anybody uh, – is there anybody egregious that you felt made the final 15 um, that you would have subbed out for 10 that got left off? 
That's a good question. Um, anyone egregious? I don't know if I could say that. I might have left off. I might have actually. No, I couldn't say egregious. I think Patrick Willis should have been in there almost over most of these guys. And some of these guys, I feel like, almost have no shot, in my opinion, at yeah. making the Hall of Fame yeah. ever. I think a guy like Leroy Butler, yeah. um, I, I don't feel like has a any yeah. shot of getting in. Baselli's probably not going to get in. Yeah. Um, Mills again. Right. I might. Those those are actually the three guys I was looking at. Um, I probably, I mean, I would have put Willis in over any of those guys. Um, I think. Mills does sort of stand out, and I think that there's, you know, they want to honor the legacy. Of course, Sam Sam Mills tragically passed away, you know, too young a few years ago. Um, Was a uh, coach for the Panthers. Yeah. Uh, uh, Created the phrase, keep pounding. Yeah, you told me that. That Mm -hmm. was an interesting tidbit. But I think Patrick Willis is got to be a Hall of Famer at some point. He just has to. Okay, you know what? I said one more question. We're yeah, going right, right. to keep it going for one all more. Right. So out of the 10 guys that got left off that you saw, okay. who do you think has the most solid case, maybe outside of Patrick Willis, because I think Willis is almost a lock yeah. at this point. Yeah. Anybody else um, that we don't see in this 15 that you think is going to get in? I was surprised Rondé Barber didn't make the top 15. And you know what? Rondé Barber's numbers may not blow you away, but – I think at a point it's it's very similar to these modern cornerbacks. They maybe don't have the interception totals, and Barber has a lot of no, interceptions. No, he was a ball hawk. Um, I, what I mean by that is you get a lot of shutdown guys like Darrell Revis. Who yeah. I've, he's not going to be lost to history. We all know what a shutdown yeah. corner Revis was, but a guy like Richard Sherman. Guys just don't throw his way, and I think uh, for a little bit, Barber um, has a little bit of that uh, in him. Ten interceptions, wow, in 2001. Yeah. How did he not – he did not win Defensive Player of the Year that year. No, and he took those things back. I mean, he's yeah. one of the great well, you, one of the great defensive playmakers as far as a return man. You remember, I believe it was the NFC Championship in 03. Maybe it sent him to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. um, against Donovan McNabb when he uh, took yeah. that pick six to the house. Yeah. I mean, there's some memorable moments. So yeah. is Rondé your guy, you think, outside of – excuse me, Patrick Willis that is going to get in eventually? I think he will. Well, I think he will get in. I, I thought about, you know, Heinz Ward, I think, will definitely be mm-hmm. in the conversation. He also has the Steelers part and the fact that he was part of a winning team for a long time. I want to say Steve Tasker. I don't think Steve Tasker is ever going to get in, though. Yeah, I, I would love to see um, Steve Tasker in there. Also, Ricky Waters, man. People forget about Ricky. Ricky was yeah. an all-purpose yards beast. Yeah. Um, I don't think he has a shot at getting in. Look at that. Isaac Bruce, six times as a semifinalist. Yeah. Come on. Put some respect on that man's name. I hope you all have enjoyed us rambling on yeah. about our uh, football heroes yeah. <laughs> and um, and Richard Seymour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we will uh, maybe do an update to this uh, very briefly live on air when the Hall of Fame class is mm-hmm. announced. Uh, but uh, if you have nothing to add, Carson, uh, I've been Logan Camden. I've been Carson Brabber. And this has been Nerd Sesh. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.